One, two, praise God. Dear brothers and dear sisters, um, today we are uh, hosting, or we're being hosted by TCA. Um, if I could uh, describe TCA in a couple of words, I would try saying something very simple, like uh, one of the best schools in the world. In fact, I'd probably say it's the best school in the world, because that's where I went. I remember, and I'm, I'll share something with you, something before we go into prayer. I remember the first time that uh, uh, I think I participated in youth service, and it was a service led by Tacoma Christian Academy. And so we had to come here, and I, I had some things happening that day. Uh, but I remember as a very good time of my life, and I hope that this would also be a good time in your life as well. Um, dear brothers who are going to be sharing a word and are maybe a little bit anxious right now, it'll be really good. Uh, we are, we're with you. We're going to pray together right now, and we're going to be starting this service. So before we start this service, I'd like to read one place from Scripture, a place that um, I've been thinking some about Psalm chapter 23. And uh, this, the psalm goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today we're going to hear some interesting stories. And I've actually been editing, not editing, but kind of looking through the stories of uh, my siblings and I know other siblings uh, that are of people that are sitting here also have stories of their grandparents maybe great-grandparents and times of persecution in the Soviet Union those were interesting times times that we didn't have to live through some people had to live through those times and carry the gospel of Jesus Christ through that time um, right now is a different time and I I don't know if many of us understand that but right now is a time of no persecution in America at least outright persecution some people still feel persecuted but I want to tell you we are not being persecuted as of right now in America in the way that Chinese people Christians are being persecuted in the way that our grandparents were being persecuted 60 70 years ago it was a different type of persecution but nonetheless during the time that we have right now let's do our best to enjoy this fellowship that we're going to have. Let's do our best to fill ourselves up with the Word of God, with the bread of God, to fill ourselves up with uh, true doctrine, sound doctrine, good fellowship, so that even if in times of hardships, um, we would be ready. Um, the place that I just read here, it tells us that David was going through a time, I think, in, in this part of his life where things were going good, kind of like right now. Things were going good with, you know, the school. Things were going good with the youth. We can have fellowship. We could um, talk. We can have coffee. We could sit in a very nice facility. 
let's thank God for this time in the service let's praise God for this time that we have and also ask God to open our hearts so that we might receive the word that he has prepared for us today let's stand and pray Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for all the goodness that you have given us. My God, we ask for your name's sake. My God, you see the wonderful time that you have given us today. And we ask for your name's sake. My God, would you help us use every bit of this time that you have given us today uh, accurately, properly, adequately. God, the way that you want us to use this time. Would we not waste the time that you have given us? Would we not squander this time? Would we not squander squander our resources would we not squander our energy or any effort my God but on the other hand would we use every bit of this wonderful time that you give us for your glory and for your kingdom we ask for your name's sake my God because we can't do nothing without you and that is why we are asking for your blessing for your grace and your mercy my Lord I believe that you have prepared a lot of good bread for us today I believe that you have prepared for us good encouragement good nourishment my God a word that is going to increase our faith make us more stable in you allow us to grow and become more mature spiritually I ask you one thing my Lord would our ears be open to hear your word today would we receive your word today my God has a word that is from you my Lord and would the seed that is sown today fall on good grounds I I also want to pray for my brothers and my sisters that are part of the Tacoma Christian Academy I I thank you my God for this wonderful opportunity that we have together and I ask please my Lord would you do a glorious working in the hearts of every one of these brothers and sisters of mine so that my Lord these these sermons these testimonies these songs would not only be sermons and testimonies and songs and uh, but would be something deeper my God would there come a time if there has not already come a time and I know there has come uh, a time uh, a time for salvation my God a time for personal relationships with you and every one of uh, these hearts I ask for your name's sake bless the service cleanse us my God purify us and prepare our minds to receive your word today we ask in the name of Jesus Christ amen today I was praying with my wife before we went to the before I went to this youth service and we were praying God for the sound mind I just took a nap this, this uh, today before the youth service. I don't know if that's a sin or not, or if you're jealous or not, but that's what happened. And you know, sometimes you wake up and you're like, wow, what day is it? Oh, is it Wednesday morning? Oh, am I late to work? What's going on? And then you gradually you come back and you're like, praise the Lord. Everything's good. I talked with a person today. This is a real story. Just several hours ago, about 2, 3 o'clock. And I talked with this lady, she was on the street, she uh, came in, in the church, and she was talking about something, and she looked really nice, and, and she was talking like, you know, like any educated, intelligent person. And then all of a sudden, she mentioned something like, I have to fulfill a prophecy. I'm like, something's, you know, what, what kind of prophecy? I asked her a question, and she's like, and then I, I pray in my mind, they say, Simple question, who is Jesus for you? And she, her immediate response, Michael, Michael, Archangel Michael. Wow, okay. And, and I, I, I realized that we deal with people who might not know the truth. The Bible says that this world actually lays in darkness. People are blinded. They are 
they are not able, not capable of seeing God's miracles, God's hand. And God reveals that truth to us. And our reaction should be, God, thank you. Like Brother Andre just said, thank you. That's first reaction. And second reaction, what can I do to preach your word, to say the truth and share with others? Amen? God gave us the spirit, the Bible says, not of timidity or cowardice, but of power and love and sound mind. I like that. Sound mind. When you wake up spiritually and you're like, where am I? What's the purpose? Where am I going? What's the next thing I need to do for you, Lord? And God gives you that desire to do his will. Be obedient to him. Can you please be obedient? Listen to his words, word and be obedient immediately. And I would like to pray again. We will continue worshiping. But I would like to pray that this spirit that God gave us would have freedom in our lives. And we would be obedient to God's spirit and his voice. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you, thank you, thank you and praise you for the truth and light that you shone in our uh, lives. Lord, we thank you for the revelation that you gave us through the Holy Spirit. We understand that we are nothing without you. We understand that this whole world lays in darkness. We know that this whole world is in slavery to devil, God. And we are not careless about what you've given us. We want to preach your uh, truth. We want to share it with others. We want to worship you like we just sang, Lord. We want to worship you. Bring real worship and adoration, God. When we come to you, we want to serve you. We want to be obedient to you in everything what we do, Lord. Please come in our hearts with your peace. With your peace, Lord. I know there's a lot of thoughts in our minds, a lot of sometimes even this cowardness and, and timidity, Lord. We are worshiping you, not people. We don't do something for the people. We do it for you. You are the king sitting on the throne. And we worship you. We're your children. And we love you, God. And we love you, our, our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise God, brothers and sisters. Um, today, as Andre mentioned earlier, our uh, secondary students are actually going to be sharing a few things. I was thinking about it. In the Old Testament, it seems like the same story is repeated over and over and over. God keeps repeating that I led you out of Egypt. Remember that I led you out of Egypt. Tell your children. Children, tell your children. And it needs to be passed on from generation to generation. And why is that? Well, because that strengthens our faith. There's a verse, and this is in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. One chapter directly after the heroes of faith, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, talking about all of those heroes of faith, surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and this final peace, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. When we hear the testimonies of our parents, of our grandparents, of perhaps our grand-grandparents, then a few things happen. First of all, our faith is strengthened. We hear that God is real. And a second thing, it gives us hope. 
we know that no matter what comes in the future, perhaps there is persecution that we will face in a few years. We know that if God was able to lead through our grandparents, our parents, then he will lead us through as well. And so right now, um, I would like to invite a few of our secondary students to share some of their testimonies and some of the things that they can reflect on. And so welcome. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Uh, today I'll be telling you guys a testimony about my dad. His name is Michael McCamol, and he was born in 1976, Artsyomovist, Ukraine. Um, and when my mom and dad lived in Ukraine, they lived by their parents. And my dad found about my dad found out about a missionary trip to Russia, in the Siberia region. So he decided to go to the missionary trip, and it completely changed his life. My dad came from a Christian family where he was raised knowing that God is our creator. My dad always dreaming, my dad was always dreaming to be a missionary when he was younger, and this was his chance. This missionary trip was called Gospel to the Nations of Russia, and would go throughout Russia. This event started in Moscow, Russia, and took about 16, six months. Even though my dad was at the trip for two weeks, he was really happy he went. Three Jeeps and one all-terrain vehicle were the main transportation. Even though the vehicles had all-wheel drive, they sometimes got stuck in the thick and deep snow. All the villages they went to were so small that not much people even knew about them. My dad had one group that had about 20 people, and those people split, them to, split up into smaller groups of about two or three people each. They would go to different houses to share the gospel, and they would spread Bibles to people and invite them to churches. And this incident impacted my dad in many ways. It made my dad a devoted Christian and a very good preacher. He understood that so many people need the gospel, and our responsibility is to bring it to everyone in this world. Even though my dad was a choir director in church, this missionary trip helped him a lot, and it helped him to see how God impacted his life. This impacted me by letting me know how I could spread the word of God. You might not think that when you grow up, you'll be a missionary, but it might change. God has the power to do anything. Even if you don't want to follow God, he will change your heart, just like he did with Jonah in the Bible. Amen. Have you ever experienced a loved one dying? Many people have, and in this case, so has my grandma. It transformed her life in such a big and positive way and in some ways it has influenced me. In her life, tragedy changed her life. It was truly hard to believe that it was a blessing in disguise. This all happened when my grandma Mila was 34 years old and just recently gave birth to her sixth child. She and her family lived in Moldova in the year of 1989. Those times were with no trouble and life seemed great until one day she found out her husband was terribly sick. He was sick with a bacterial infection that affected his body. He did not know that it was so serious so he did not care. But then his body began to break down and weaken. My grandpa was frantic to get well, so he did everything him and my grandma could for him to get better. One day, they rushed to the hospital because he could not breathe. The doctor said that he would be all right. But a couple hours later, right then and there, he died in her arms. My grandma was in complete and utter grief. He was her whole world and best friend. She could not believe that the love of her life was gone. As the years of comforting went on, she realized something. God did it for a special purpose. She believed that it happened for a reason, and the reason was this, to bring her closer to God. 
At first, she didn't really believe it. But as the years went on and different heartbreaking events in her life happened, she agreed to humble herself and give all of her focus to the Lord. Raising six kids all on her own was another moment of testing. She had to work late hours without almost seeing any of her kids. But through this process, she understood that she needs to rely on God with any of her problems. Throughout her life, my grandma devoted herself fully to the Lord. She became a strong woman and someone who I look up to. With the situation, I learned that it is important to have reliance and confidence in God. He's the only one that can protect you and keep you safe. Amen. People have been born again in several different ways, but some are in ways you would least suspect it. My great-grandfather's name was Lazarus Yakimenko, and he was born in 1920. I had no personal relationship with this godly man because he passed away before my parents immigrated to the U.S. My great-grandfather was fighting for Ukraine in World War II when he was captured by the Nazis and put into a concentration camp. Their goal was to starve all of them to death. Lazarus cried out to God and said he would worship him for the rest of his days if he got out of there alive. Little after two weeks, Lazarus started to get delusional. Word was spread and eventually got around to his wife that he was at this concentration camp. At this time, since there were so many men in the young war, so many young men in the war, they would let their significant other come and claim them. Another week afterwards, the guards were calling him, Yakimenko, Yakimenko, that is your name, correct? Lazarus thought he was dreaming. He was starved for so long that he had to crawl all the way towards them. To his surprise, his wife, who was in her third trimester, walked for two whole days to come get him. His wife managed to drag him all the way to the nearest village and begged to the nearby residents to take them in. Finally, one family agreed to take them in on one condition. She would have to work all day in their fields for a glass of milk and a slice of bread, both in the morning and evening. For two months, they will share their small meal until Lazarus was nourished back to health. He kept his word and even became the local church pastor. He raised a family of nine godly children and passed away when he was 70. This event, event changed his entire lifestyle and spiritually strengthened him to minister to many people in their times of doubt. This also changed my life by laying a foundation for my family to be Christians. If God didn't put him into the hands of the Nazis, my family wouldn't have the faith they have today. Peter Romanenko was born in the year of 1898 in a small town of Ukraine called Lozovatka. He grew up in a Christian family and received Christ as his Savior when he was in his teens. He was a strong believer and God blessed him with many things. He built a large, beautiful house in the middle of his town and at that time his house was considered to be very expensive. Very few people were able to afford a residence like his. Unfortunately, his well-being didn't last long. Within a few months of Peter building his house, the communists came to power. And just like many other people, Peter lost his home and almost everything he owned. After being kicked out of his residence, Peter, his wife, and his six children were given a small rundown shack on the outskirts of their town. This new home of theirs was nothing more than a shed, as it didn't have windows or any type of heating system in it. Also, it was about five miles away from the nearest other home. Even though Peter was almost in complete despair from losing everything he owned, he thanked God that he was still with his family and could read the Bible and pray. Every night, he would go onto the fields to collect corn that the collective farmers had left behind. 
This way he prepared rations for his family in case there would be a famine. He collected several large bags of corn and buried them a few hundred meters away from his house. Several weeks later, Peter was arrested for being a Christian. A severe famine occurred at this very exact time, as the communists were purposely starving their own people. When Peter's wife came to visit, he told her where he had hidden the corn that he had taken from the field. He also told her to take small amounts of corn out of the bag because if the soldiers did a house raid and found the food, they would take it all away and um, they would figure out that his family was saving food from, this, from themselves. This way, while everyone in the town was starving, Peter's family was able to survive off the small rations of food. Um, now, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to Romans eight twenty-eight. Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Um, in Peter's story, God showed his care and love for Peter's family in many ways. When Peter had his beautiful house taken away, he didn't know that this was actually a blessing in disguise. Because if Peter had stayed in his new home, his family would have starved. This way, God let the communists kick Peter's family out of their home to place them away from the watchful eye of the communists and so they would be able to survive. Uh, Peter was able to collect the food at night and hide it near his home. Um, this affected me because it showed that God always has a plan for us. We must trust him and his perfect will, knowing that he will provide for us. The story about Peter and his family is a wonderful illustration of how God protects and provides for those who fear and obey him. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Um, with this story, I would like to bring us all to a prayer. So... Lord Jesus, thank you for this day that you gave us that we could all be here uh, at this youth service. And thank you for giving us your son to die for us on the cross and take us all our sins, God. Um, and thank you for giving us um, our great-grandparents and grandparents to show us such a good example of how to serve you and how we could work for you, God, and be your children, God. Thank you also for... Um, all the things that you've given us and for providing for us. In your precious name we pray, amen. God is good, um, all the time. Um, oh man, I forgot my Bible on my seat. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, thank you. Um, so basically a while back, I've um, been going through a really hard time and I didn't know what to do. Um, 
I was going through a time where I was just really scared and quivering. And I looked at the Bible and I always knew the verses, don't fear for I'm with you. But it was, it was just a little hard to believe that sometimes. I, um, I couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat. So it made everything harder to do and get back on track and be back with that sweet, nice, warm spot with God where I knew he was holding me. And um, it was just really hard. I'd, I didn't know what to do. I was just in a, in a rough place, stuck, like just the, just the feeling of stuck and scared. Like it would be really hard to do things. But through time and time again, I kept going through church and um, just hearing what the speaker says and talking to my parents, and they really helped me believe that God is with you no matter what. So if you're going through a hard time sometimes, uh, sometimes it's just God trying to make you stronger. Like, you feel so put down, and that's the devil sometimes. Like, he wouldn't... I've said this before and at a different time in a different testimony. Um, devil wouldn't hurt a nobody. And that made me feel really good because I've always felt so attacked in my life with diseases and um, sicknesses or other things going around me or to me. But um, through time and time again, I feel like I've always won the victory or won the battle and God has always made me stronger and that has always helped me to um, help other people who are dealing with the same thing. And because of this, because of all these bad things happening, I could recognize them like so easily now. Some things that have happened to me, I could recognize them and I could stay away from them. And these things that make me scared, sin, I know that it's not me who should be running away but it's sin who should be running away from me because God is power and we shouldn't be afraid with him. And as I was um, saying my topic to Mr. Alexander, he uh, gave me a really good verse and I'm going to share it with you guys. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 58. I'm going to read it to you all. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And now I just want to share a poem with you guys that God has put on my heart. I've looked death in the eyes and I see the lies. I won't let it see my cries. I'm scared, yes, but I know what it gives. You think you know me. Well, I know God. I know where you are. I know where you're hiding. I know what you're selling, but I'll never be buying. Such dirty sin has the Lord crying. You can't control me anymore. 
I won't do your bidding. For Jesus is victory, winning since the beginning. And if God is for us, who could be against us? So I'll have fear no more. I won't open the door. I won't let it in. It won't make me sin. My soul won't quiver. My head won't spin. I will not be moved. Sin will never win. Amen. I've been thinking about two things recently. We celebrated Slavic Culture Day or Slavic Culture Celebration in our school. What that is, is when we come together, we dress up as Russians, Ukrainians, Slavic people. We uh, sing songs, we tell stories, we do serious stuff like, you know, remembering very impersonal testimonies of our grandparents, parents, and so on. And um, all that is good, but I kind of felt that we sometimes are being too proud of things that we shouldn't be. And another thing, I'll come back to this. Another thing is today's hearing at the Olympia capital. Um, anybody who was actually calling or lobbying or emailing to the senators that you're opposed as B5395, anyone? Yeah, good. Thank you so much. I, by the way, I don't know what's the result because it was hearing, I don't think they voted. Anybody knows? Okay, doesn't matter. We, we've done our part, we will be praying for them. But people expect often that God will create a kingdom here on the earth and will come to this perfect place where our parents, for example, thought that America was that place where everybody will worship the Lord, God will be the king over the whole country. The rest of the countries will be kind of like, who knows, you know, maybe they will perish, maybe they will stay alive, but this something perfect will be perfect golden kingdom on the earth and it's not going to happen because when Pharisees came to Jesus and asked him, when, when, Jesus, when are you going to be the king and we'll be sitting with you and reigning and, and Jesus said, hey, look around, the kingdom of God is within you or in the midst of you. Luke chapter 16, I believe, or uh, there. And uh, what I think is important for us to understand, we have this big purpose. Our youth, our church, our Christian school, we have the purpose of expanding God's kingdom. We, we say that, we actually write that in our all kinds of documents that our pur purpose is to expand the kingdom of God. How do we do that? Are we going to preach so that the church will grow, will build a lot of buildings and eventually will overtake the, the United States? Or, or what are we going to do? And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is within you. And what he means when we pray, may your kingdom come, we don't just say that, hey, let it come someday when you are going to descend on the white clouds and you will reign or... You know, we believe that we will be taken up and reign with Him. What we believe, we believe that in God's kingdom, invisible kingdom, uh, there are several things. First of all, like in any kingdom, there is a king and King Jesus. Amen? That in any king, there is a territory where He reigns. 
Jesus has a territory. It's not geographic sort of some kind of location or place on this earth. It's transcendent. It's, it's throughout all the, the countries and in the hearts of people. His territory is invisible, but he's reigning in the hearts of people. So there is a king. There is a territory. There are rules in the kingdom. There are rules in the kingdom. If you read the Bible, God gives us the rules that he has in his, he established in his kingdom. And there is obviously people, special nation. And it's not Israel. It's not Slavic people, by the way. It's not American people. It's those people who decided to submit their lives completely for the service of their king. And when I say submit, something inside of my sinful flesh tells me like, oh, I don't want to do that. That hurts. I still want to keep this area of my life. I still want to maybe get a driver license or, or do this stuff. And then I will serve the, the Lord. But the Bible says that those of us who choose to build our life on the rock, to build our life on the principles and concepts of God's kingdom, we will never regret. And I want to challenge you. I want to, as you listen to these testimonies, we will hear more stories, more presentations. I want to challenge you. I want to, to not look just, you know, at, oh, how unique that life was or how unique are people or we are good here in Tacoma or my church is better or something like that. I want you to think broader. I want to think in terms of God's kingdom. How can I live completely submitted life to my Lord? I want to serve Him. I want to love Him. I want to change the life. Uh, students. I want to invite the next four uh, students, sisters, brothers, and we will have Christina, Anna Babin, then Roman, and Emily Kusua. Okay, um, You can all come up here and then take turns. So Christina, you'll be first. Okay, so Michael Gavrilovich Kunshaw was my great-grandpa who lived to tell a story. Michael went through a lot more persecution than the story I'm about to tell. So my great-grandpa was born on September 2nd, 1913 in Zaporozhye, Ukraine. He was married to my great-grandpa, Vera Kunshaw, and in 1951, she gave birth to my grandma, Gale Kunshaw, later to be Romanenko. My great-grandpa served in World War II in 1939. Back then, when people went to church, instead of gathering at a building, they gathered at people's houses. The KJB would often catch the people having church gatherings and writing their names down. My, my great-grandpa was one of those people. Misha got on that list way too many times. One day in 1965, the KJB called uh, Misha out by sending him a letter and asking him to come to a certain place in a certain date and time. So my great-grandpa went there and he was arrested and sentenced to 10 years in jail. He was 64 years old at the time and my great-grandpa Great-grandma, his daughter, was only 12. Misha spent five years in jail in Suma, Ukraine. He spent another five years in a labor camp in Siberia. In 1975, he was released from jail and came back home to Zaporozhye. Then in 1998, Misha and his family moved to America. After living a full 97 years, Misha passed away from cancer in 2010. 
My great-grandpa lived a fulfilling life. He walked with God all his life and set an example for his grandchildren, including me. God showed his goodness by keeping my great-grandpa safe and protecting him in jail and also by protecting his family. Not only did my great-grandpa endure persecution, but he also came out of it with a stronger faith. This story inspires me today by showing me that my God should always be your first priority. Amen. We, those who are living in the U.S., were blessed with many opportunities when it comes to education. We often underestimate what we are given. And today I'll be focusing on how the education in the USSR different from what we experience today. We should be thankful for the schools, colleges, and universities that we attend. For those living the, during the Soviet Union, education was considered the focal point. Who wouldn't enjoy the free education and easy employment after graduation? You were rewarded for trying hard, and your talents were put to good use. It seemed like everyone in the world would strive to move to the ESR in hopes of having a bright future. Yes, it could have been a considered a blessing for many people, except, especially, except for the Christians, especially in other religions. The atheists of USSR, from the bottom of their hearts, disliked those who didn't have the same ideas about life as they taught in their schools. The communist schools seemed to have everything under their control. In the USSR, every detail was thought through and planned. To no surprise, the government's best way to present it to the people was to teach it to their children at school. To represent sameness, every student wore the same clothes, appropriate for their gender. From the moment they entered first grade, they were peer pressured into a joining organization called Young Pioneers. This organization was filled with communist propaganda that guaranteed that the children will grow into the uh, USSR patriots. They disguised themselves as a good organization since once in a while they would go out and help out their com community. From childhood, Christians were raised to fear these groups and to, to refuse to join them, despite what it cost them. Because of this, Christian children were made fun of at school, were unfairly graded by teachers, and not allowed to join school clubs where they could academically excel and thrive. Often it seemed that Christians had no motivation for trying hard in school, since there was only certain careers they could choose from, most of which included zero education. Despite this, Christian parents rewarded their children for trying hard and tried to help them any way they could. The true problems, however, arose for Christians after they graduated. Usually after finishing 10th grade, children moved out, uh, moved out to move to other cities where they could get a good post-secondary education or they stayed at home. Sadly, most of the Christians ended up just staying at home and finding a job there. They knew that there was no point in trying to be accepted in colleges or universities since they would either be rejected right away for not being members of the Young Pioneers or later when the schools found out. They weren't successful in ever finding a good job anywhere since the government would make known the names of the Christians to the companies, ensuring that none of them got hired. Despite all these troubles, Christians had to suffer. They were faithful in their beliefs. Yes, they lost a valuable education that would be so much, uh, so much a benefit to them. But they were able to save that which was most valuable to them, their faith in God, something that the atheistic country couldn't take away. The communist society suffered since they lost valuable and faithful workers with much potential. However, the Christians were greatly blessed by God. Today, many of these Christians live in the U.S., a country where they are able to accomplish their lifelong dreams. Praise God.
Today we'll be talking about persecution during the Soviet Union. During the reign of the USSR, our grandparents and parents were strongly hated and in some cases even persecuted. When my dad and his siblings went to school, they were always mocked and ridiculed and always were excluded from everyone else. During the Soviet Union, religion was strictly forbidden and punishable with horrible consequences. For example, the KGB would come to your house, take the husband, and, in some and sometimes he would have never came, he would have never been heard from again. This would in turn punish the family, giving them no stable income uh, and cause them to go hungry. Oftentimes, Christians would be interrogated and tortured for days at a time uh, for, inf for information regarding other Christians and priests and where, they, where to find them. Uh, many would stay strong and not give up their brothers, but some couldn't. Conditions were very brutal for Christians in work camps. They were forced to live in small, extremely crammed, and freezing barracks. Many times, Christians were faced with hard decision to forget their morals and fight for food or starve. Those who did choose to fight would also face a lot of other hardships. Many would die of cold, many various diseases, and others from getting beat by guards and prisoners. Gulag survivors were not very common. Very few were strong enough to survive. I'm thankful for my religious freedom and my ability to serve God. May we never forget these stories. I'll be talking about Bible smuggling because it was a really big thing in the USSR back then. Um, although Bi the Bible isn't entirely banned from most countries today, it is still heavily regulated and it's really limited. Bible smuggling is still a wide reality today as it was back then in the Soviet Union. Many believe that the operations of Bible smuggling was unnecessary and still think so today. The truth is quite the contrary. The illegal transportation of Bibles is what kept many Christians' faith from diminishing. The scripture encouraged the persecuted to keep going and keep fighting for what they believed in. There were different methods of how Bibles were smuggled into the countries. Some would hide them in crates of food, and others had special secret compartments in their cars or motorcycles or other vehicles uh, to smuggle them in. For example, in North Korea right now, they smuggle Bibles by, by sending big balloons at night containing many hard copies of the New Testament. Even though this may sound really extreme, it, sound, it just shows how important the scripture is to people and how hungry people are for the word of God. Smuggling Bibles in the USSR was something every believer understood was a necessity. People did everything they could to help their brothers and sisters in need. They knew what they did was illegal, but they also knew that it was for the greater good. It was probably because these smugglers, it was probably because of these smugglers that our grandparents and parents were able to read the Bible, or at least sections of it, and get stronger in faith. In conclusion, we should be thankful for what we have today. The freedom and knowledge that we have, many people only dreamed of, but it is our reality. Praise God. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Uh, this evening I'll be preaching out of Hebrews chapter 10. If you um, have a Bible, you can turn there. It'll be a little bit before we get there, however. Um, kind of be jumping around a little bit, so you'll have to be patient with me. But eventually we will get to Hebrews chapter 10. Tonight we've heard a lot about our ancestors. Many of the men and women who went before us, uh, before you all came out of the Soviet Union, uh, in order to practice their faith. Many of them gave up their careers, gave up their families, gave up um, money, homes, property, all of these things in order to serve the Lord. Uh, 
is a valuable thing to be born into a family that serves and loves the Lord. First Corinthians, tells, uh, First Corinthians 7 tells us that the children of believers are holy. Now, I'm not sure entirely what that means, and um, you, know, you might not be sure entirely what that means either, but I think we can agree to at least one thing, which is to say that to be born into a Christian family is better than to be born into a non-Christian family. In fact, uh, God tells the prophet Malachi that the very reason why he hates divorce is because he longs for godly offspring, for children who have been raised up in the fear of the Lord. It was a wonderful blessing, I say again, um, to be born into a Christian home. However, if there's anything that the Bible teaches us about the children of believers, it's this. That's not enough. While we celebrate our parents and those who have gone before us in the faith, we must hold firmly to the truth that no one has ever gotten into heaven because of the faith of their father or their mother. I'll say that one more time. We have to hold firmly and be clear about the fact that no one has ever gotten into heaven because of the faith of their father or their mother. In fact, one of the greatest tragedies of the biblical storyline is the number of individuals who have not been believers despite the faith of their parents. We see this at the very beginning of Scripture. The first person who comes to my mind when I think about people whose parents were godly believers but who themselves fell would be Cain. Cain is born, and he's given the name Cain because Eve says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, this itself is an act of faith and believing, right? God had told Eve in Genesis chapter 3, there will be a seed that will come, and it will crush the head of the serpent. And when Eve names her son Cain, she's saying, I think this is the seed. I trust in God to provide, and I'm putting my faith in him. But, of course, we know that this is not the case. Eve's faith is not sufficient for Cain. As we know, Cain allows sin to enter his life, and the child who brought hope becomes the man who first brings murder and death to the human race. The story continues. We think of Esau. He's a child of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. If the faith of our parents earned us merit before God, it would be hard to uh, imagine somebody who would be more qualified than Esau. Yet, his life is one of complete godlessness. When he's young, he sells his birthright, the blessing of Abraham and Isaac, for a bowl of soup. He trades God's law and God's um, structure for marriage and family, and he has multiple wives and all these sorts of things. In fact, Esau's life is so bad that Hebrews chapter 12 lists him as someone to avoid and not follow because he is immoral and godless. Finally, in the Old Testament, and perhaps worst of all, is King Ahaz. Ahaz is king of Judah, which means he is a descendant of David, the man after God's own heart. He is the grandson of Uzzah, who is described as one who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and his father, Jotham is also one who has done what is right in the Lord. In fact, Judah has eight righteous kings in its history, and four of them are immediate ancestors of Ahaz. His father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, and his great-great-grandfather. But we read this about Ahaz in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. 
and he did not do right in the sight of the Lord as David his father had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made molten images for the Baals. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Himmon and burned his sons in fire according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. Sacrifice and burned intent on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Here we have somebody who has been handed a godly heritage. Parents who believe and love the Lord. Grandparents who believe and love the Lord. Great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents. And yet, he goes out of his way to commit all kinds of sins and abominations that we can hardly imagine. He worships false gods. He's finding, always finding new places to worship false gods. He sacrifices his children. And he leads Israel astray, confirming for us the facts that the faith of his parents and his grandparents was not enough for his salvation. And finally, not only is this shown to us in the Old Testament, but it's also taught by Jesus. Uh, in John chapter 8, if you remember, the Jews come and they're speaking to Abraham and Abraham confronts them with their sin and they kind of are upset and they say, uh, how can you question us? We're children of Abraham. And Jesus' response is, not unless you do the works that Abraham does. Not unless you have faith the way that Abraham has faith are you truly Abraham's children. Now, how does this apply to us? Paul says that the stories of the Old Testament were written as examples for us. And you can see the direct connection here. If the faith of ancestors did not save all these men in the Old Testament, neither can the faith of our parents, grandparents, or great-grandparents save us. The scriptures call us to a personal faith in the Lord Jesus. In his instructions concerning the Lord's Supper, Paul tells the Corinthians that before coming to the Supper, each person should examine themselves. Eating the Lord's Supper is a participation in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, and this participation requires that each one of us put our faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul doesn't say, uh, by the way, children or young men, young women, uh, if your parents are believers, you're good. Or if your grandparents were believers, you're in and you're good, this is okay, you don't have to examine yourself. No, he says each and every one of us are required to, our examine, to examine ourselves. Why? Because each and every one of us, it is demanded of each and every one of us, a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are probably a number of reasons why you're here tonight, uh, or in church on Sunday. Some of you, um, like I know our students were, uh, may have been forced to come here for a grade or for various reasons by your parents. Some of you might simply be here because this is where your friends are on Tuesday night. Um, there's nothing wrong with having friends or obeying our parents or doing something that is necessary to get a good grade in school. But all of these things have limits. And this brings us directly to the text that I mentioned earlier, and I'm going to read for us Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verses 19 to 27. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 27. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully, after having received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Hebrews 10 tells us that Jesus Christ has offered himself as a sacrifice. The first half of the verse, uh, the passage that I read, speaks specifically of the fact that Jesus has interposed his blood on your behalf. That he has stood between you and the wrath of God. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to draw near and commune with God, you needed a priest who could stand between you and God. In sending his son, God gave us a true priest, the final high priest, who is the only one that can truly stand between man and God. Paul says there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Jesus Christ. The consequence of this, according to the author of Hebrews, is that we can draw near to God with our hearts cleansed. If you were in Christ, there is no one and nothing on this earth that can prevent you from coming into the presence of God. This is the great promise and truth of the gospel. It's the great promise that your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents believed in and lived for, and many of them even died for. Whatever you've done, whatever sins you've committed, those things, which uh, if we were to put them on the overhead, you would leave quickly and never come back, Jesus stands forth with pierced hands and offers us forgiveness for these things. By putting your trust and faith in Jesus, resting in him alone for salvation, you can have access to his forgiveness. But here is the fundamental point. That forgiveness comes through faith. That forgiveness comes exclusively and only through faith in Jesus Christ. And it comes not only just through faith in general, but through a personal faith. Your ancestors who went to the gulag or stood up to persecution or simply loved the Lord with their whole hearts and taught you to love him, will not be able to stand between you and God on the day of judgment. Your friends will not be able to stand between you and God on the day of judgment. Your school or your church or whatever memberships or clubs or anything else to which you belong will not be able to stand between you and God When God comes and we stand before him, and all of us will stand before the Lord on the last day. The only person in all of the universe that can come between and stand between you and God in order that God's wrath might be turned aside is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way to be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ is faith. Not the faith of your grandparents, or the faith of your parents, or the faith of your friends, or the faith of your school. Only a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient. As our passage in Hebrews says, we have confidence to enter the holy place of the Lord by the blood of Jesus. But there's an alternative to this. The passage doesn't end with entering the holy place by the the blood of Jesus, but it goes on and says, sacrifice for sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. 
As I mentioned at the beginning, there's great blessing in being born into a Christian home. But there's also a great seriousness about it. Because if you grew up in a Christian household, or if you are a frequent attender of church, if you are a reader of scripture, then there is no doubt that you have indeed received what Hebrews calls a knowledge of the truth. Now, there are some truths which are really inconsequential. Whether the world is round or flat, whether it currently is raining or sunny, or whether George Washington actually was the first president of the United States, has no bearing upon our lives. Yes, uh, for my students, I did say that there are historical facts that are not important. Um, the truth about Jesus, however, is not one of these facts. It is a truth which confronts everyone who hears it with life or death. There is no compromise between a true faith in the Lord Jesus or an eternal separation from God. Your parents might have this faith. Your friends might have it as well, but the question tonight is, do you have this faith? I think it's the case that if there's an aspect of life that Winston Churchill didn't have a good saying for, then it's an aspect of life that's not very important. And he talked about this as well. So he's, Winston Churchill once said, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them often pick themselves up and hurry on as if nothing had happened. How sadly... And how often the children of Christians do this. They spend their childhood surrounded by the truth, inundated with it, and when they grow older, turn their hearts away and follow after something else. Tonight, in the stories of your ancestors, the stories of those who have stood up and stood strong in the faith and in the preaching of the word, we have not stumbled, but have come full face with the truth. Will you believe and embrace it? Or go home, hurrying on as if nothing happened? Your eternal salvation is at stake. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, we thank you for our parents and our grandparents and our churches and our schools who have faith in you, who have loved you and who have put their trust in you. And we pray now that you would do a mighty work here, that we would put our trust in you as well. That we would love you, Lord, with our whole hearts, with all of our minds, our strength, and our soul, and our spirit. Lord, if there are any here today, tonight, who have not loved you, turned to you in faith, who have not made this faith their own, we ask that your spirit would come upon them, that you would turn their hearts to you, that you would give them a faith in you that is personal, that is real, and that in doing so, Lord Jesus, you would stand between them and the wrath of God that comes upon their sins. Father, we thank you for the wonderful mercies of your grace. We thank you for everything that you have done for us. And we pray that we would go forth from here determined to live according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.